found it. It's the Japan What Podcast, coming at you out of the back end of Tokyo. The it's me, Matt Bigelow, in the Toshi Hisa Cho Studios in Shinjuku, Tokyo, Japan. MatthewPMBigelow.com is where you go for all of your Japan What needs. Until then, I'm having what you are having, dear listener. Monday morning. I know it's Memorial Day for all the Americans out there because uh, when I check all the uh, podcasts that I like to listen to on Memorial Day, a lot of them are nowhere to be found from America. And I go, what's going on? Americans love their media. They love being the media. And then, oh, something about war, taking the day off. Well, that doesn't sound very nice. Um, you know, we have Remembrance Day on November 11th in Canada, where I'm from. Uh, Japan has another day where all their war criminals are interned, as the people like to say. I, I disagree with that as well. Really kicking this off, super respectful to those who have fallen in the wars. You know, my grandfather served in World War II, Norway. And then he got out after he realized that uh, he wasn't treated very well. And basically backstabbed by the royalty. He was a member of the King's Guard and basically some some asshole, some Nazi sympathizer let all the Nazis in. Screwed over the country real good. Ah, now I'm here. Just had a baby daughter. She's good. She's ganky. Sweetest thing in the whole world. And um, my in-laws, my Japanese in-laws came down from their city north of Tokyo to meet her, and I have another two-and-a-half-year-old son, most charming person I've ever met, um, just charms the pants off of everyone and sleeps through everything. Now when he's a naughty boy, the fact that there can be my daughter screaming at 4 a.m. for milk and he's just conked out, not even waking up, not even disturbed in the slightest, I go... Those are some brownie points, my boy. Those are some brownie points. But I'm not here to proselytize my children, all right? What I would like to say, though, this is advice for people giving gifts to people with children. Um, there's, a, of course, giving gifts. We all like to do it. Kids have too many gifts these days, but you still want to, you know, give something to kids. Now, uh, age appropriacy is key here, and this is going to be advice for anybody listening all over the world. Now, I just said that my son is the most charming person in the world. He's only two and a half years old, though. So he likes trains. He likes bullet trains. He likes the Shinkansens. I'll take him to Tokyo Station, and we'll just look at Shinkansens for hours, and he's happy as can be. Super happy little kid. So, of course, the grandparents, they buy him some some bullet train stuff, some bullet train toys. Or are they not toys? One is a toy. One is the Hayabusa, the fastest train, Shinkansen bullet train in Japan. Reaches uh, speeds up to 320 kilometers per hour. Oh, it's green. It looks like a strange space vehicle. It's a beautiful piece of machinery. Fantastic engineering of the utmost kind. And it's, it's not digital, you know. It's like a physical thing that people had to make and put together and make it on the tracks and shoot up to 320 kilometers an hour. So they bought him like one of those toys where it has wheels on the bottom and you pull it back and it's spring-loaded and you let the toy go and the Shinkansen goes down the floor. Okay, good. But they also gave him 
a spoon and a fork where the handles are shaped like bullet trains. Now, I thought this was great. However, my son, who's only two and a half years old, mind you, doesn't know the difference between a fork with a Shinkansen that's not a toy and a Shinkansen with wheels that is a toy. So he's getting his greasy food all over this spoon and fork. Then he also sees that they are trains. So he starts dragging this greasy baby food all over the floor, all over the tables, all over the walls. And he doesn't know. So when I say, Ray, you can't do that. You can't put the spoon on the wall. But he's like, it's a Shinkansen. And then he's like, but this is a Shinkansen. I'm like, yeah. So the advice is, if you have children, sorry, if you have friends with children over the age of five, they have the language discrepancy to be able to communicate and understand that, okay, it's not a toy, it is a toy. Under the age of five, you're putting parents into a paradigm shift they never wanted. Believe me, trying to explain to this kid that he can't take his greasy Shinkansen spoon and smear it all over the floor, well, it's perfectly fine to take the Shinkansen toy and play with it all over the floor does not make sense to him. So he's frustrated (laughs) and he gets angry. He insists on eating with the spoon and playing with the spoon now. So over the age of five, concept cutlery is fine. Under the age of five, Avoid it and just get children toys. The toys, toys for the kids, kids. That's my advice for this week. What do you think? Is that reasonable or is that unreasonable? We're going to begin today with a uh, hate read of the week by Sora News 24. And um, I was thinking, I'm actually liking Sora News 24 now. I call it a hate read out of um, reputation standards and uh, uh, thematic interest for the show. But these people are actually a lot more honest than most of their news you'll ever see because it's written horribly on purpose. Um, but I'm not sure if they know it's as horrible as they think it is, but it's also just trying to get people on their phones to engage the content before they bail. But this one for today might be the win. And I'm going to say, is it, is it, or is it, is it going to be successful or is it going to fail? What do you think? Is it, or is it? Smartphone abstinence cocktail created by Japanese restaurant to put focus on friends over phones. Oh, by the way, if you're a first-time listener to the Japan What podcast, MatthewPMBigelow.com, we cover strange items, news analysis, increasingly conflict and AI trends, um, you know, where I have standing, I usually try to explain it as we go along. All right, smartphone uh, abstinence. Restaurant came up with idea after polls showed majority of people are bothered by dining companions staring at their phones during meals. Now, I've been all over the world, and I've noticed all over the world since about 2013, 2014. doesn't matter whether I'm on a, on a promenade in Budapest, Hungary, or if I'm strolling down some street in Thailand. 
people, instead of engaging with themselves and each other in these amazing adventures they're going along, uh, they are sitting around tables staring at their phones. And like a lot of people are like, hmm, looks like the kids are drinking less. Huh, that's probably a good thing. No, they're just drinking more algorithm juice. But anyways, let's... Let's continue here. So I hate smartphone culture. I don't really participate in it. I do a little bit more now because when I have like 10 minutes of downtime between, you know, running after kids all day, um, it's hard to just pick up a, a dumbbell and start working out when a two-year-old kid might run around the corner and try to engage on with you and what they're doing. But having a little sneaky peek at a smartphone, you know, Twitter to see what what's up going on in the Twitterverse it's just a lot easier and there's no, you know, TV. We don't have a TV at home either. So uh, my use of smartphones has gone up. But what made me hang out a lot less with a lot of people was that I would go out to, to like meet up with people and people would just stare at their phones. I'm like, I'm not doing that. Anyways, Futago is Tokyo's newest yakiniku restaurant, having just opened in the city's Shibuya neighborhood on Thursday. Like at all restaurants, the staff wants customers to eat, drink, and be merry. But there's one thing Futago wants customers to do, too. Put down their phones. But there's one other thing that Futago wants customers to do. The, I'm, the, the writing is not very good. But there's one other thing that Futago wants customers to do. Yeah, Okay. Prior to opening, Futago conducted an online survey of 1,000 people, 100 men and women, each in their under-20s, age bracket, plus 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. 65% of respondents said they felt awkward or uncomfortable as someone where they're eating with spends more time looking at their phone than engaged with their dining companions. And so Futago wanted to do something to help. They could just have implemented a no smartphone use allowed policy on the premises, but that sort of heavy-handed approach can be divisive. So instead of forcing people to do so, they came up with a clever idea to make them want to put their phones down of their own free will. Now what they do is they've developed this glass with a hole on the bottom, and you put the glass, not a hole in the bottom, it's, it's, there's a clear portion on the bottom of a glass that you can put your put the glass on your smartphone uh, lamp, the little uh, flashlight. Turn on your flashlight, and it'll make your smart your the smartphone will make your glass glow, uh, and then you're not engaged in your smartphone because it's face down with the lamp up, and you're making the smartphone do something by um, you know turning your drink into funky colors. Uh, this will be on MatthewPMBigelow.com. Um, but it's just a kitschy way to get people to, it's kind of like saying, Hey, it's okay to be totally addicted to your smartphone. Why don't you also use your smartphone, uh, to make this glass light up in a way, but I wonder how that works. Um, I'll be posting the pictures up by MatthewPMBigelow.com. Like I just said, the Futeco has created a special cocktail, the smartphone fasting sour, which reminds you, which rewards you with a dazzling blue hue if you turn your phone's light on before placing it under the glass. The intended aesthetic is to make your glass look like the sparkling sea, an effect that's added to by the presence of gummy fish. Now, I am done. I am never trying this. Not only do I not like sours, it's a type of um, cocktail in Japan, most typically made with shochu, which just gives me a headache. Um, I don't want candy. I'm not going to say, I'm going to put down my smartphone and drink candy with shochu. Mm, This idea stinks. The restaurant hasn't said what kind of alcohol is used in the 850 yen cocktail, but in Japanese bar terminology, sour refers to the presence of shochu, like what I just said. 
So what I want to say is I applaud this idea of moving on from the smartphones. It's crazy how trends like embed themselves. We all, no one would bring CD players to <laughs> the restaurant. You wouldn't have like, hey, I bought this new CD player and I'm listening to Metallica on my new CD player at the restaurant. You would be listening to your CD player back, you know, way back in the day. Um, and then you would turn your CD player off, take your headphones out and engage with people. But for some reason, like just this idea of this smartphone you're kind of engaging with yourself more than with other people because the smartphone is algorithmically tuned to your personality traits. If you let it, uh, that's what a lot of people don't, they don't, they don't, they don't attenuate the power of their smartphones. I do. It's in my pocket most of the time. And I make sure that all my notifications are off and that I block as many people as I can. And especially from big corporations so that um, I fly under the radar as much as possible. And even on Facebook, I never really post anything personal anymore. I did at first, but when it became you know evident that they're just trying to get me to post my personal life so that they could sell my personal life to advertisers so that they could send me things that I don't want, like that that weird thing where it's like you um, post a picture of a baby crib and then all of a sudden you get emails from like some company you've never heard of about baby cribs. That's really creepy, right? I just turned that all off. But anyways, good luck with your stupid ideas, you dumb yakiniku restaurant. I predict failure. Is it going to fail or is it going to win? I predict failure. Oh, is it? Let's take a look at what I like to do is do a little um, headline smash between the Nikkei Japan and the Japan focus and the Nikkei um, China focus. So this is a Japanese economics newspaper. My theory is that they've totally gone into the um, SDG DEI territory um, and so we don't really get a good look at what's going on in the Japanese economy. And when we compare the news that they publish about China, typically what happens is we get a better picture, like a macro level picture of what's going on in China. And in Japan, we get like this mishmash of like um, embedded virtue signaling that's not really easy to find. So what will I play for that? Let's do, let's just play this one again. Beginning with Japan, Japan cosmetics makers take on K-beauty insurgents in men's market. Gen Zers are not the only guys spending lavishly on skincare and makeup. This always goes on. Um, every, I remember like in my 20s, I'm 42. It's like, oh, men are wearing makeup now. It's like, mm, maybe men in their 20s may wear, some men in their 20s may wear makeup for a while. A lot of models might or handsome men. Most of us quickly grow out of it. Cosmetic maker um, LG Household seeks fresh growth in North America. Uh, Philippine infrastructure king decides to go private. This is in the Japanese side. Is Japan's finance ministry pushing fiscal reform for its own sake? Government has a responsibility to lay out the pros and cons of tax hikes, spending cuts. Opinion. Hiroshima's message of peace was lost on the G7. Kishida's uh, politics. Kishida's cabinet's approval slides to 47%. Shangri-La, you're weak in Asia. We'll skip that. Education. To improve quality, teaching foreigners Japanese will require license. 
Japan's Rocket Island grapples with demographic change. Graying Tanegashima is a microcosm of the national economy. You know what? This is a good point. Um, as the population plummets in numbers, uh, uh, mysteriously, the births just go way down since 2021 and the deaths go way up since 2021. Wink, wink. Um, what we're also seeing is not enough support on the edges. So like these little islands here, little towns over there, or sort of like mid-sized corporations with a footprint in rural areas, they're kind of seeing the edges beginning to crumble on the um, human-based stability of their scale. Oh, there's enough, you know, buildings and infrastructure, you know, we, that that's already been built up in Japan. But the ability to keep people coming in and keep them there to make things going, we're beginning to see the fray occur. Um, a lot of people are employing um, foreigners for cooking and things like that. I don't really see a problem with that. But, for example, a yakitori, a fried chicken skewer restaurant, there's a way to do it. Um, and just coming in in your 20s and as a Vietnamese person, um, making yakitori um, might be... It might not be that hard, but it's hard to make it taste as yakitori, if that makes sense. If like um, if you're if you're an Italian person and you grow up in an Italian co- uh, family drinking Italian coffee, and then you make a coffee, you, you even though making a coffee is not that big of a deal, you're probably going to understand how to make a good solid Italian coffee. Well, the same thing goes, but if you know if you're an Italian person who made coffee their whole lives, and you go to a sushi restaurant in Tokyo, you're not you can't really transfer over your coffee knowledge into how to cut tuna and things like that. So, this, <clears throat> similar things are happening with a lot of yakitori chains where they begin a whole bunch of like Cambodians, Vietnamese, uh, people from Laos and things like that, put them all together in this mishmash and it works, but it doesn't work because it's just not that, it's just not that level what you're used to of consistency and what you would think a yakitori would be. So it's, it's not like it's bad, but it's fraying, if that makes sense. Food and beverage, Japanese craft whiskey, Ichiro Malts, to launch a distillery in Hokkaido. Product venture whiskey to acquire 6.6 hectares for land at the plant. Makes sense to me. Frozen or canned, Japanese grow... (laughs) Canned. Frozen or canned, Japanese companies try new ways to export sake. Uh, Gender equity is coming to Japan's workplaces. Ah, that is the WEF talking, not equality, equity. Women are getting a lift from family, social, and corporate developments. Now, that is true. If you work for an international company in Tokyo, the odds are that you can take maternity leave are quite high. Um, I don't know if that still exists for many in the Japanese traditional corporate working structure. It technically does on paper, but once you go back in, you sometimes are assigned um, to some little task doing something else in some other office that where you retain your title and everything, but the job that you're doing is completely different. So we'll see. Um, Japan to try beaming solar power from space in mid-decade. Promising tech harvests the sun's bounty day and night, even in bad weather. It's like one of those, uh, you put a giant panel in space and then beam all the energy back to Earth. Okay, 
Uh, what about all those little asteroids? You know, how long is this giant space shield going to hold up in space? That's a wacky idea. So that's um, pandemic craze for Japan's medeka rice fish keeps up steam. Colorful pets are easy to keep and breed and can sell for over $3,000 each. So again, we're not really getting, this is Monday morning here on May 29th in Japan. From the Nikkei Asia website in English, we're getting very little to no information about the Japanese economy. But if we look at China and read down the list... Um, battery supply chain, Simcorp set to open first factory beyond China. Um, Singapore property market heats up, squeezing expat renters. Chinese investors may shrug off higher stamp duty imposed on foreign buyers. World Bank chief makes final appeal to China on developing na- nation debt. Yeah, good luck with that. Um, China's homegrown C9, C919 completes first commercial flight. It's a Japanese homegrown jet. And everyone's like, it's just stealing all the components from everything else. Well, yeah, well, that's what happens. U.S. won't tolerate China's ban on Micron chips, uh, commerce chief. Uh, okay. <laughs> Triple headwinds bear down on China's stocks and yuan. China Big Data Expo draws Huawei CEC as sector to reach $425 billion. U.S. banks, China's ambitions wane as political tensions linger. Mm, I would say that uh, China's focusing on the developing world and not on the shrinking world. The G7, including me in Canada, in Japan, is part of all that. We are part of the shrinking world. They keep saying we need green energy. We need to turn it all off. We need to, we need to not rely on anything large scale. Hmm, good luck investing in that. And they're like, we want other people in the global south to join us in our quest. And everyone in the global south is like, that sounds like us 30 years ago when we didn't even have any of this technology. Now we're finally getting it. And you're asking us to turn it all off so we can go and lick rocks for slime. Pound sand, G7. Blow me. Um, uh, U.S. will come to regret holding back China at the IMF. That's opinion. Washington cannot expect Beijing's help with dollar or inflation. Um, I think that's about it. We'll do one more. Chinese companies seek opportunities in Indonesia's new capital. $31 billion development project on Borneo so far falling short of investment goals. Well, good luck to that. That's an interesting idea to build the capital on Borneo. Um, I think a lot of uh, Jakarta... The island chain there with Sumatra, it's too um, it's too long, it's too short. There's too many crazy little islands. But Borneo, man, that's a that's a place to develop right there. I wish I had gone there. Really wish I had gone there. I have a song called Borneo. I'd play it, but it's not fresh on me. So those are the headlines for today. As we can see, as usual, the macro um, evaluation of the China's evaluation is. Concrete makes sense. I'm not going, hmm, ha, huh, what does this mean? I don't have to constantly pause to refresh myself about strange terminologies and what they mean. Looking at the Japan side of things, though, I constantly do have to do that. And that's my theory that more and more of Japan from the top-down aspect is incorporating the SDGs, the World Economic Forum, diverse equity and inclusion um, aspects, and trying to push it down onto the people. Most people don't even know what's happening, although I do see more and more people walking around with SDG pins in their lapels. Um, there's a new building going up near my house, and it's like this big made with wood, made with wood and earth, this new building. 
And it's like they put some wood panels on the outside and call it SDG. <laughs> Meanwhile, all the apartments on the inside are so tiny that no one's going to want to start a family inside of them. So uh, you get these tiny people, tiny, not tiny people, you get these tiny apartments filled with single occupancy dwellers um, paying an arm and a leg for, to live on an SDG um, apartment with uh, wooden panels on the outside. And uh, Japan Corp goes, why, why are people having babies? Why are people having babies? Uh, Twitter... All right, and on to the next topic. Right, I'm going to get a little bit more into the economy. I'm seeing that I have that prepared up here, so let's do that. Here we go. Now, I'm bringing this up for a reason. Um, this comes to us on May 26th, so three or four days ago. And again, this is not like the breaking headline news of the day podcast. It's looking what's going on in the past, looking on what's going now, looking at what some predictions are, and kind of striking a balance between the past and the future based on the present. Um, Seven and I president reappointed in proxy fight against U.S. activist fund. Now, if you're not familiar with the corporate world, and I kind of got a glimpse of it when I was working as a teacher at a telecommunications company in Tokyo here from 2015 to 2020, um, I had like a, a private office on the 23rd floor of this major building, and um, I was teaching a lot of the executive class at this major corporation, um, as well as the engineers and AI and stuff like that. And that's where I got into all this um, technology kind of stuff from, not from like the hype, but more from the the nuts and bolts aspect of it. A lot of the hype is just hype. A lot of the nuts and bolts doesn't lead to anywhere, but it's a foundation where you can tell that it's real or not real, whereas hype, you never know. But one, one, one year, I noticed that a couple of billion dollars um, of investment was placed into the company from an activist fund. And I'm like, well, for me, activists are like lesbians with purple hairs running around Washington, D.C., screaming at the sky about Trump. That's what I think when I hear activist fund. But no, no, no. These are well-to-do, well-suited um, men and women from all sizes, shapes, colors, countries, what have you, involved in these companies that are called activists, activist shareholders, which kind of reminds me of the Klaus Schwabian stakeholder capitalism, where you invest in a company and then push that company to do something so that it changes its outlook and you can do X, Y, and Z. One idea that I've heard about, though, is that these companies try to enforce utopian ideologies inside the company so that everybody goes along with it. Because if you don't go along with good things, then you're a bad person. Um, but the, you know, the highway to hell is paved with great intentions. Um, what happens is these great intentions end up the maybe pushing these companies to severely end up with devaluation. So the infrastructure is there. The business opportunities are there. Suddenly this company plummets in value and then foreign investors from like BlackRock and Larry Fink and all those people buy up major corporations around the world, pennies on the dollar. 
Um, now, this company here, uh, 7NI President, this is 7-Eleven Japan, super successful company. We're going to see that even though the company is doing better than ever, these activists still want to kind of sabotage the path that they're on. And they find like this way to get in there and nitpick about something in order to pry open the window on that and then make that a focal point to push forth their agenda. Let's take a look. Shit Tokyo. Uh, shareholders of Japan retail giant 7&I Holdings Co. on Thursday approved the appointment, the reappointment. Congratulations, Ryuichi Isaka, as president, rejecting a demand by a U.S. activist fund for the removal of the top executive in a high-profile proxy fight. Value Act Capital Management LP claims the management needs to do more restructuring for a greater focus on the retailer's mainstay 7-Eleven convenience store business and sought at an annual shareholders meeting to replace four board members, including Isaka, with candidates it selected. Yeah, so they're not just trying to make changes in the mid-level or the bottom level. They're going straight to the top. They're, they're, they're aiming their arrow right in the face, pulling the trigger, and the arrow is actually a shotgun filled with AIDS. But the proposal was rejected, with the majority of the shareholders participating in the meeting approving the company's plans to tap Isaka and 14 others as board members. Uh, quote, we will aim to make big strides to join the world's top group under his management team, Isaka told shareholders at the meeting. Still, the approval rate for the president fell reflecting shareholder frustration, with 76.36% supporting his reappointment at this year's meeting, down about 18 points from last year, according to 7&I. Now, is that decreased because of the nitpicking from the activists, where they kind of, they, they want to shake the tree to see which leaves fall? Quote, Value Act makes a good point listing management challenges and is making an argument in the right way, but the proposal is too demanding, a shareholder in his 60s said. But on the other hand, Mr. Isaka's management is not quick enough in making decisions. 7&I has, been a, has seen a substantial recovery. So, okay, he's not fast enough in making, in making decisions, but look at this. 7&I has seen a substantial recovery of its overall earnings from pandemic levels, becoming the first Japanese retailer to book more than 10 trillion yen, $72 billion, in the last fiscal year ended February 28th with a record net profit of 280.98 billion yen. Um, so let's just say that's about $22 billion. Record profit. So record profit, but let's get rid of this guy. He's too slow. But look at all the money he's bringing in. Are you a company or are you a, a race car? Still, the pressure on company management grew after proxy advisory firms Institutional Shareholder Services and Glass-Lewis recommended that shareholders support Value Act's proposal. Um, the company's performance is not on par with investors' expectations. The U.S. fund, which has a 4.4% stake in 7&I, has demanded that retailers spin off the convenience store business and sell its loss-making Ito Yokado supermarket unit in a bid to increase its corporate value. Now, we all remember the 1990s when movies were great, and there would be major film companies that would release movies that would do critically well but not make a lot of money. Um, we can imagine, you know, face off with Nicolas Cage making billions and billions of, well, I'm not, billions weren't a thing back then, but mil hundreds of millions of dollars. And then they would release another movie from Miramax, you know, despite all what, what we know about that now, it would cost $20 million to make, maybe it would bring in 15, 18, but it would gain enough traction to recruit talent and people who want to work for that company. And then they can 
you know, make more money down the line based on that. The same thing is true with Ito Yokoro in 7&I. Ito Yokoro is a supermarket chain. They are really good at understanding how to make food and things like that. And so 7-Eleven is a convenience store, but by pairing it with the Ito Yokoro um, supply chain know-how, 7-Eleven can make more money based on that. So you have this thing that makes not as much money, maybe even loses money, but you take that as like an R&D type of a fund and uh, spin it into the profitable um, 7-Eleven convenience store chain. They're doubling and tripling or whatever, increasing your profits by X9, a 10%. So if you're making more over there based on your investments over here, what does it matter if your investments over there did not make as much money overall? It seems crazy to try and bomb that. In the face of increasing pressure from shareholders, Seven and I began restructuring its business in recent years. It's going to sell its struggling department store unit, um, Sogo and Seboko, to U.S.-based investment fund Fortress Investment Group LLC. So that's what I was going at before. Um, it targets these portions of the company that are decreasing in value, and then other companies around the world buy them pennies on the dollar. Uh, if Seven I Eldings is smart, and I think they are, they would realize which losses they would be able to sell and which losses they'd be able to keep. I'm not really some major finance guy, but as we can see based on my uh, idea from the beginning is that a lot of these SDG DEI people are like wolves in sheep's clothing where they come in and they say, you got to be more like this because it's like now, uh, Trudeau in 2015. Why is half your cabinet women? Because it's 2015. It sounds great at the time, but look at where we are now. Not saying that women can't do anything men can, but the way Justin Trudeau went about it was just to willy-nilly approach it and sabotage it. And now Canada is being bought up on pennies on the dollar by the Chinese. Of course, of course, it always requires a seller for a buyer, so I'm not placing blame. It's just a strategy that seems to be working over and over and over again. And um, actually, since the company that I worked at, the telecommunications company, decided to kind of go down this um, trade, uh, the path of Silicon Valley and the path of uh, activist investors, um, they their valuation has really, really gone down for the most part. And are they going to be bought up on pennies on the dollar? Because that seems to be the way it's going. So it could be said that, in 10 years or 15 years from now, all of this stuff that we're hearing about Black Lives Matter and LGBTQ in the corporate world, not, not, the, not, the, not the boots on the ground people, but the corporate world, um, you know, Larry Fink or the U.S. military painting um, a gay pride parade, uh, you know, symbology on their bombs. <laughs> no one might remember that 10 years from now. And no one's going to remember that those companies that follow this path lost all their money and were bought up by other people. So in a way, it's just kind of saying, and eh, we're going to do it and you're going to get screwed. And if you disagree with us, we're going to paint you as a bunch of racists. What do you want? What do you want? That's that. That's my analysis of, based on the 7&I record holdings, the activists still want them out because they're not doing as good as they thought they should be, despite only having a 4.4% stake in the company. Um, these are meddlers of the highest order, and they need to go. Here we go. go.
to spend a little bit of uh, time on COVID. It's mostly over, but the fact that we've the economic ramifications, the health ramifications, they're still ongoing. And I don't just want to talk about DeSantis and Trump all day. Coronavirus. The Wuhan flu doesn't kill you. The media panic will. Now do whatever the government tells you to do. So what I'd like to say is to kick things off, people that don't want to have an mRNA gene therapy into their body. They're not conspiracy theorists. If they said that they want the uh, mRNA, they don't, I'm afraid, like, for example, I don't want the mRNA gene therapy because I just don't feel that threatened by COVID. Um, If I get it, I will um, quarantine at home and make sure I'm well ventilated and get some sun. Not a conspiracy theory. But if you say, I think that I'm going to avoid getting the mRNA gene therapy because I'm worried about it containing graphene and then the government is going to control my thoughts via 5G telecommunications networks. That's a conspiracy theory. Now, I'm not saying it could never happen, but my understanding of 5G kind of says it's pretty hard to make that happen. So... Just because somebody says, I got the vaccine and I regret it, doesn't make them a conspiracy theory. But what I've noticed is that so many establishment people, when they hear about somebody becoming seriously ill, and then that person who's become seriously ill questions whether they should have had three or four uh, mRNA uh, gene therapy injections for the COVID, those people get labeled the people who are questioning their, you know, their 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 health situation, they're being labeled as conspiracy theorists. Now, mRNA has never been deployed on this level of scale, and it's been billions and billions of people with billions and billions of shots, and it's totally new technology, and it's just been rolled out under the Emergency Authorization Act or whatever it is and where you are, which means it's not done under the normal prerequisites that vaccines would normally get released. Now, if you look back on human history, each time such things occur, every single time, there are negative consequences. Why would this time be exempt from that? Because the people that make the vaccines told you that that wouldn't happen? Now, I'm not saying that everybody who gets an mRNA vaccine is totally going to die. Uh, But people are saying, I got three shots and now I have cancer. And there's this common theme where somebody says, well, you got cancer, but that's not because of the vaccine. No, no, no. The person has cancer. And now you are more concerned, not you, but many people are more concerned that the person who has cancer is more threatened by the vaccine than they are of the cancer. You can have cancer. Just don't say it's the vaccine. (laughs) That seems to be a lot of establishment tropes. So it's like, hey, this person says they got the cancer because of the vaccine. They're a conspiracy theorist. Well, maybe cut them some slack. They have cancer. Jesus. So this comes to us from a Japanese politician. It's a tweet. um, And I'm just going to read it and do that. 
I am suffering, quote, I am suffering from malignant lymphoma after receiving the messenger RNA vaccine three times. I am a member of the Japanese parliament. A video of me discussing the effects of the vaccine with Professor Yasamusa Inoue, an expert in molecular biology, was banned by Google. I wonder if that's because all of these big tech companies are balls deep in with the pharmaceutical industry. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Does your country allow companies to censor vaccine information? Will you allow violations of my right to pursue the cause of my illness? Japan is the country where the highest number of people have received the messenger RNA vaccine worldwide and also has the highest number of excess deaths. It's true. 1.5 million people died last year and to date 77,000 people, this is me, Matt Bigelow talking, this 77,000 people thereabouts have died because of COVID-19. I am concerned that Japanese citizens are suffering and dying from the effects of the vaccine. I am concerned. I am pursuing a cause. This person is not saying anything about 5G or graphene, and they're a member of the Japanese parliament. The security threat is, the security threat is not from Russia or China, but from your country's pharmaceutical industry and big tech obstructing inquiries about it. Um, notice that they're not saying the country's pharmaceutical industry is as bad as Russia or China. They're just saying obstructing inquiries or inquiries about it. I believe it is necessary to summon the leaders of these companies to the Japanese parliament and question them. I learned about freedom and human rights in your country. He's talking about uh, America. I request that you cooperate in protecting freedom uh, freedom and human rights. It's also a little bit of a translation, so it might not be 100% correct, but we have um, a Japanese politician there, a member of the parliament, who has now saying they have malignant lymphoma, not good. And um, before, apparently, according to him, the didn't really exist in his system before he had the mRNA vaccine three times. Now, is everybody going to get malignant lymphoma for taking the mRNA vaccine three times? I'm not saying that. He's not saying that. But what's with this whole thing by saying, I got this experimental gene therapy three times, and now I have a serious illness. I wonder if they're connected. Why is that such a hard pill to swallow for so many people who are totally in the mainstream? They will say the craziest things about Trump for years and years and years and years, and all that stuff never gets proven. But the second you say, Here's a physical thing I've put in my body three times, and now I have a very bad illness. I wonder if they're connected. They're like, causation does not equal, uh, 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 correlation does not equal causation. Okay, but uh, I mean, I I shot my dog in the face and it died. (laughs) So I, I want to express sympathy for these people. I want to say, This is terrible you have lymphomic cancer, whatever it is, malignant lymphoma. Uh, Is it because of the vaccine? I don't know. There's been billions of this experimental thing rolled out. We don't know the long-term effects. Could this possibly be one of them? Should we not in the interests of science? How many times have I heard in the past three years the science has spoken? We follow the science. But if you're just going to label everybody who, who possibly thinks that Their current situation, which didn't exist before they got the mRNA injection, is connected to the mRNA injection to lump all these people into a group and call them conspiracy theorists and just kick them off of the ship of society is um, bigoted, it's horrible, and I disagree with it. I disavow such actions. 
I welcome an inquiry. Um, this is also interesting. We'll do one more COVID and then move on to something else. I just thought that a high level, um, I'm going to actually get that person's name just because people might say that I'm crazy and I'm not sourcing the material properly. So I'm just going to get the name. I'll be right back. All right. His name is Kawaguchi Kazuhiro. And uh, he's the member of Japanese parliament who's just curious why maybe wants some answers. All right. Let's move on to the other COVID topic I wanted to talk about. Is it COVID or is it not COVID? Is this next story COVID or is it not COVID? Is it? Oh, is it? Japan's flu season yet to end due to low immunity. End of COVID rules. <laughs> okay. Remember, you can't link it to the vaccine. Uh, this is not a vaccine. It's a gene therapy, mRNA gene therapy. May 25th, 2023, so a few days ago, the flu season in Japan has continued into May, with experts attributing the prolonged spread of infections to low herd immunity and government relaxation of coronavirus measures. Group infections have forced some schools to close entirely or close some classes even after infections peaked in February. Quote, this is the first time we've had so many infections, end quote, said an official at a private high school in Oita, southwestern Japan, where around 500 people, including staff and a quarter of all students, were, affected, were infected from May 11th to 22nd following a sports festival. Yes, it's nice weather in, in Kyushu, in Oita, where they have onsens everywhere, just minerals spewing out into the earth. But suddenly, this year, how did that happen? Also this month, around 500 students at a high school in Miyazaki, southwestern Japan, that's in Kyushu as well, were infected around the time of a sports festival, where while about 100 students got sick at a military school in Chofu, western Tokyo. Let's see, was that as well? They left out the Chofu school being a sports festival. So they're just trying to say people were running around outside and they got sick in May for the flu. Are you kidding me? Experts noted that the measures against COVID-19 had prevented mass influenza infections from late 2020, meaning people have decreased immunity against the illness. I am willing to accept this idea, to be honest. People spent so much time inside sanitizing that they weren't available to come together and spread herd immunity. But certainly, um, I'm not sure. Certainly, I'm not sure. Uh, they warned of a potential surge in infections this winter. According to the tally by the National Institute of Infectious Diseases, the weekly number of influenza cases reported at designated medical institutions exceeded one patient in December, making the start of the flu season for the first time in three years. But while the number of cases uh, number of cases peaked, at, well, we're gonna we're actually gonna stop it right there. So, all I want to say is that um, kind of rural areas and in, in Kyushu now have a record numbers of uh, flu outbreaks with students in the middle of May. Yeah, uh, this yeah, this actually really makes me angry. We're going to finish it there. So remember, do whatever the government tells you to do. Coronavirus. The Wuhan flu doesn't kill you. The media panic will. Now do whatever the government tells you to do. All right. Let's move on to the next topic. War. Die for the war. Everybody moves. Die for the good. For the good. Die for the war. Die for the war. 
War. Then we'll do some Society 5.0, I guess. Um, not too much on war for today, uh, but, you know, there's always a little bit. It's escalating. Japan to provide 100 military vehicles to Ukraine. And Ukraine latest, Japan to ramp up Russia sanctions following G7. Yeah, so the group of seven went to Hiroshima for a message of peace. I'm not even sure why we're so involved with Ukraine, to be honest. I'm not not saying that Russia deserves, you know, to go in there and take what they need, but is that really what everybody else needs? The war that began with Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February 2022 has passed a grim one-year milestone. This is from May 22nd. With mounting military and civilian deaths, as fighting rages in around Bakhmut, this is before Bakhmut basically fell, I guess, to Russia, uh, Western nations have raised their military support to the highest level yet. Um, oh, they changed the link. That sucks. This should be Ukraine latest. Ukraine says it shot down over 40 Russian air targets. Well, we don't know about that. Uh, let's just look up sanctions here. Sanctions. We'll cover it. Um, Russia accuses Japan of cynical, unscrupulous speculation over Tokyo's comments regarding the nuclear threat Moscow poses and vowed to respond to Japan's latest round of sanctions. The foreign ministry says it is assessing the implementation of Japan's sanctions announced Friday and would not leave Tokyo's illegitimate uh, actions unanswered. That's right. That's what I wanted to bring up here. I wonder if Japan can really play this both sides thing where it's using its uh, vested interests in Russia for energy from the Sahalin LNG resource connection so that Japan distributes its energy dependence. Can, can Japan say, we want to continue doing energy business with Russia while imposing sanctions and increasingly siding with G7 nations over their support for Ukraine? I don't, Ukraine is not a NATO member. I don't, I'm not seeing why it deserves all this attention from the G7. Um, those borders in Europe shift a lot over time. Um, I'm staying out of it. I don't want anything to do with it. But I wonder why they keep dragging Japan into it. And I wonder why Japan thinks it can get away. Uh, how long do you think? And if push comes to shove, I wonder if under the current Japanese leadership, if, um, they would decide to to cut off their energy imports from the Sahelin projects um, and send more resources to be just wasted and dumped into the Donbass region of Ukraine. Uh, Japan says it will place additional sanctions on Russia after the Group of Seven summit that the country hosted last week. Tokyo agreed to step up measures to punish Moscow for its invasion of Ukraine. Um, In a coordinated action with other G7 nations, Japan will freeze the assets of 78 groups and 17 individuals, including Russian army officers, and ban exports to 80 Russian entities such as military-affiliated research labs, according to a Friday foreign ministry statement. Matsuno, Tokyo's top government spokesperson, also condemned Russia's move on Thursday to deploy tactical nuclear weapons in Belarus, saying it would further intensify situations around the invasion of Ukraine. Well, I believe that a whole bunch of um, nuclear or uranium-tipped weaponry was um, shipped into Ukraine that was bombed, I guess, by Russian forces. So... 
it's like a tit for tat escalation. Both bad. Don't want any of that. But if Belarus is going to be on with Russia, then Russia may as well say, "Here's some nukes, buddies. Let's see. Uh, let's see these guys screw around with you now." Now, the idea of um, uh, freeze the assets of individuals, not that big, and banning exports to Russian entities, military really military affiliated research labs. I'm wondering if this is like um, when the League of Nations. Uh, during Italy's invasion of Ethiopia, banned uh, uh, sending uh, olive oil into into Italy. They said, we're going to sanction you, Italy. No olive oil for you. <laughs> and then Italy said, whatever. That obviously means nothing. So it, maybe these are um, a bunch of uh, military-affiliated research labs that have nothing to do with Japan, and that's why Japan decided to sanction them. But at the same time, we really don't know. So that is war for today, I believe. Yes, it is. War for today. War, war, war. Die for the war. Everybody moves. Die for the good, for the good. Die for the war. Die for the war. We're going to finish up here with some Society 5.0. The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology-based, human-centered society. industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face. It will, for example, free us from the stress of driving. Allow All right, and that's by the um, Japanese government there promoting Japan Society 5.0, filled with uh, World Economic Forum talking points, and there is the Fourth Industrial Revolution Center in Japan and in central Tokyo, which connects with the G7 and transfers their terminology from the private sector technically into the public sector or, or the um, government sector into Japan via those networks. Um, this is kind of a stupid product. We're going to finish up here in a couple of minutes. So Japan AI startup launches robot for home use. A Japanese artificial intelligence startup has launched a robot for home use capable of delivering items in response to verbal commands, such as bringing dishes and condiments to the dining room table or books and drinks to the sofa. The regular rectangular robot called Kachaka, developed by Tokyo-based Preferred Robotics, Inc., attaches to the bottom of a specially, table, specially designed table fitted with caster wheels. The device, about the size of a robot vacuum cleaner, can deliver an object to a specific location in the house that is pre-registered on an app once the object is put on the table and given a command. Now, what is the size of a robot vacuum cleaner? Oh, they must mean a Roomba. It can also bring books and magazines to the owner, who can set a specific time to deliver items daily. Equipped with sensors and a camera, it will not crash into walls, furniture, or other obstacles, but it cannot navigate steps. AI technology analyzes the camera's images to locate people or furniture in the room and decide the best route for the robot to take. Although automated robots are widely used in factories where the surrounding environment is easily controlled, its detection ability enables the robot to be used safely at home, even in varying surroundings, the company said. 
Preferred Robotics hopes the company will robot will shorten the time spent on household chores when people spend more time at home, such as remote work. The robot comes with a double or triple shelf table and is priced from 251,800 yen, or about $200,000. Users also need to pay 980 yen a month for the robot app. Um... Yeah, I, I recognize this company now. Preferred Robotics is a subsidiary of Preferred Networks, Inc., one of a small number of so-called unicorn companies in Japan, uh, which is a company or a startup valued at more than $1 billion. Um, they were um, supposed to be very good at uh, garbage recognition and garbage sorting, where you would have a robot with an arm and it would uh, sort garbage for you. And it had a billion-dollar valuation because sorting garbage in Japan is very important. But this robot here just looks like those robots you see on Amazon, just like a flat robot on the floor, and it has a table. I don't see an arm. I don't know how it... So you're going to have to send the robot to a place in your house, and that person is going to have to put books and magazines onto the table, and then it will bring... So it's just... it's there's It's not going to pick up the books and send it to you. Somebody has to go there and pick up the books and put it on the table. So you have to have somebody wait on the other side of the house for a robot to come. And then you pick up the books and you place it on the table. And then the table moves back to the person via an app. This is stupid. So much of this stuff is stupid. If it had an arm on it, yeah, you could have a robotic arm with a camera you know, on the arm's hand, and it would be able to see the magazines and read them, read the titles and pick them up and put them on the table. Somehow, you would be able to figure it out. But just having a moving table around your house <laughs> sounds insane to me. No, thank you. Um, and this is the last one we'll do for today. This comes to us from Zero Hedge. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I learned while I was, you know, in the telecommunications industry with the AI thing is that it, and also with, it ties into the SDGs and DEIs and all this stuff where it's like this promised thing and you invest all of this time and energy into it and you end up with less than what you get back in terms of the activist investors using, you know, trans ideology to, um, basically ruin companies uh, by t for convincing them to invest in the wrong customer base. You know, recently Bud Light we, we, hiring a bunch of uh, transgendered people to uh, promote beer and, and while also kind of insulting, you know, just regular beer drinkers. Gillette did the same thing a couple of years ago, saying, hey, are you a man and you're shaving? Well, you're a bigot. Buy our razors. <laughs> no, thank you, Gillette. And so, uh, but with the, um, the AI, the promise of AI, and the promise of having so many smart things around, it's just going to make everything smart, and you're not going to have to do everything, and everything will be done for you, and you'll be making hand over fist and money. What I've learned is that what is often the case is that companies will invest so much money in AI and then most of the ambitions don't work, they fall away. But what you get back is surveillance technology. And then in order to make any kind of sense from your investments, you have to find a way to sell that that surveillance technology. Like, um, you know, smartphones were a big moneymaker, of course, but 
um, putting uh, you know facial recognition cameras into all the lighting fixtures around the city. It doesn't really make you a lot of money, but you get a lot of surveillance in the infrastructure based on your investment into those AI cameras and things like that. So I'm wondering, is this just like this, you could call it a conspiracy theory or a plot or it's just the end result, you know, where we thought the car would be a horseless carriage, but in fact it did a lot more than horses with carriages could ever possibly do. Is the AI something similar, but there's just not a lot of money involved in it? Or is there a lot of people keep thinking there's got to be money in here somewhere and they invest and they build and they build with all these dreams about, you know, pizza delivery robots, but then you just get surveillance technology connected to massive networks controlled by Uber corporations such as Uber or uh, Amazon or, or what have you. This comes to us from Zero Hedge and it says, what if AI is only a cost and not a profit bonanza? But this is um, authored by Charles, this was via zerohedge.com, authored by Charles Hughes Smith via Of Two Minds blog. Now, this isn't related to Japan directly, but based on my experiences with the AI industry and looking at how just surveillance seems to, seems to pour out of it, in, in, despite the amount of investment that goes into it, not intending for surveillance to pour out of it, but surveillance just keeps pouring out of it. Is the is the is the reward surveillance for AI? Is that what we're dealing with here? Now, I'm not talking about Chat GPT, although we possibly could be. I'm talking about all the cameras and the automation and all that. It's just like the surveillance machine. Um, and if the camera is pointed at nature, it's not bad. But if the camera is pointed at you, good luck. Let's just read this. No one knows how the flood of AI products will play out. But we do know it's unleashed a corporate frenzy to get our own AI up and running. Corporate fads are one of the least discussed but most obvious dynamics in the economy. Corporations follow fads as avidly as any other heedless custom consumer rushing headlong into whatever everyone else is doing. Globalization is a recent example. Back in the early 2000s, I sat next to corporate employees on flights to China and other Asian destinations who described the travels and costly disasters created by their employers' mad rush to move production overseas. Quality control cratered, proprietary technologies were stolen and quickly copied, costs soared rather than declined, and so on. So let's talk about the cost of AI rather than just the benefits. Like any other heavily hyped technologies, large-scale language models, uh, sorry, large language models, LLM, uh, AI, is presented as standalone and quote-unquote free. But it's actually not standalone and free. It requires an army of humans toiling away to make it functional. Quote, we are grunt workers, but there would be no AI language systems without it. You can design all of the neural networks you want. You can get all of the researchers involved you want. But without labelers, you have no chat GPT. You have nothing. End quote. And that's from a um, lowly human helping run chat GPT who's only making $15 an hour. He's not quoted directly in this case. The tasks performed by this hidden army of human workers is euphemistically sanitized by corporate speak as data enrichment work. Then there's the stupendous costs of all the extra computing power needed to deliver AI to the masses. 
quote, what makes this form of AI pricier than conventional search is the computing power involved. Such AI depends on billions of dollars of chips, a cost that has to be spread out over their useful life of several years, analysts said. Electricity likewise adds costs and pressure to companies with carbon footprint goals. Now, the idea that we would have like this IoT AI edge computer revolution never really happened. But so many companies invested so many billions of dollars aiming to make it happen. What we now have is an ecosystem where there is AI IoT um, uh, centers and, and technologies and, and quote unquote business models. I'm not making much money right now, but the reason why that they're being still developed might be because there's so much money being invested into them. If you were doing it just as some sort of person driving down the road, you may have given up a long time ago and said, I'm not getting what I thought I'd be able to get out of this thing, so I'm going to stop. Now, this chat GPT, all of the image AI image creation is all based on edge computing, um, AI infrastructure. It's much different than a program you run on your computer, such as Photoshop, where you would bring in a picture of a sunset and you might make the sun look, do something, and you might add some water and somewhere else. And it's pretty much like an AI um, image that you would get from Midjourney or Dali or Crayon or any number of um, AI image providers. Uh, Gab has one as well. What the idea with the AI IoT edge compute is that you send low level amounts of text from an edge computer to a data center, and then that data center uses AI and sends it back to you via the network wirelessly to your phone. This is the ecosystem that has been envisioned. And these AI generators, these AI uh, chat GPT or the image generators are following this model precisely as it's supposed to work. The edge computer is your phone. You put in to um, an image creator, uh, cats eating sushi, sunset, Tokyo, um, photorealistic, and it sends that text prompt via wirelessly to a network somewhere, through the network somewhere, to a data center equipped with neural networks that know how to make uh, images. It could be generative adversarial network or it could be using diffusion technology and it will then make that image and send it back to you for one, one to two megabytes in size via the network to your phone. If you were trying to do all of, if you had all of that infrastructure from the data center in your house, you wouldn't be able to do anything, let alone figure it out. So the idea is that the regular person now has access to supercomputers via their own mini supercomputer, supercomputer their phone. Um, but what is the, what's the value in that? How do you, I know that Midjourney is finding a way via subscriptions. Now Midjourney can have, it runs on Discord, I think. It can have up to 1.5 million people in the, in, in, on their servers at one point. Now, if you have a subscription model based on that for $9.99 a month or whatever, $10 a month, say yen a month, you're going to be able to create quite a nice, pretty little business model off of that. But how many mid-journeys can there be um, to create an ecosystem of value spread out over across many companies? Or is it just going to be where many companies now just use mid-journey as the same way that regular people would use mid-journey. So it kind of creates the, it equates the playing field. It's true equity, maybe. Um, 
anyways, mo- moving moving on uh, to the rest of this article here. Um, corporations are counting on the magic of the waste is growth landfill economy to generate higher margins from whatever AI touches. Don't ask, it's magic. But few ask how all this magic will work in a global recession where consumers will have less income and credit to buy, buy, buy. A uh, large language model AI is riddled with errors and nobody can tell what's semi-accurate, what's misleading, and what's flat out wrong. Despite, despite wildly optimistic claims, locating the errors and semi-accuracies can't be fully automated. Errors are inconsequential in an AI-generated book report, but when patients' health is on the line, they become very consequential. Uh, I am an ER doctor. This is a link to an article. Here's what I found when I asked GPT, chat GPT to diagnose my patients. Now, you don't want to do that, right? Um, You would need your own very personalized data set housed in a secure server in your own hospital so that it's not hijacked by um, evil, uh, you know, companies that want to see your hospital go under so they can buy it pennies on the dollar. Um, I'm going to... I'm going to stop it there, I think. Let's just take a look at the last sentence here. The enthusiasm unleashed by new technologies is selectively euphoric. The benefits will prove immeasurable and the costs will soon be near zero. But in the real world, the costs are all we know for sure and profits remain elusive and contingent. Exactly what gets wiped out by the meteor strike is not yet known. And this article features like a, a, a bunch of dinosaurs. Um, being hit by meteor, which is catastrophism typical of Western people talking about AI. Now, these two technologies are being pumped into Japan as well, um, and many people are viewing them as some sort of futuristic, unbelievable claim. And, you know, even a lot of... When we were at the hospital with my new baby-born daughter, to bookend it here, the technicians were really, really good operating their own equipment, but when we tried to do a Zoom meeting to get um, a view on the baby because she needed to stay an extra day for some light therapy, really nothing major, nothing major at all. To try to get these people who are nurses and doctors who know everything so technical, to get them to try to increase the volume output on the smartphone they were using for a Zoom meeting, to get them to give us the accurate number to join the Zoom meeting, it was all wrong. They didn't know how to do it. And that's because of the interface we're using, the smartphone, you know, typical stupid joke. It's a dumb phone. They People, even the most advanced minds on the planet who go into their chalkboard rooms and their studios and connect everything together with what they need to do, the second they're done with that, they turn on their phone and they're so used to having some algorithm, some AI, deliver all the information that they're expected to get and just sort of scroll on the toilet Um, as they're waiting for, you know, their poop to be done and then stay. And then maybe they'll tweet a little bit or post some things or, you know, find an extra thing to do while while sitting there in the toilet um, on their phone. They're so used to operating it as a as a scrolling device and as a as a loose text device that most people, even the most profound minds on the planet that are engaging the AI via these edge computers called smartphones have no idea how to use them. However, every time these advanced minds of our planet, humans, use these smartphones, they're constantly being tracked and monitored in what they do by the AI that they are employing of their own free will to deliver to them the information they think that they want. So the, uh, the idea here is that what if, 
What if it's more valuable for somebody somewhere to know what everybody is trying to do instead of trying to make money off of it? It's a very strange idea. And again, it could just be wrong. It just could be like huge amounts of ill intent and bad data pumping a system where it doesn't need to go. Um, this is, of course, used extravagantly well in China as well, where you, you say the wrong thing on the internet and then you go and try to use your electronic money somewhere. It'll diagnose you with COVID, turn your, turn your bank code red. Now you can't use money or go anywhere and you can't even get on the off-ramp off a highway to use the service station because you're not allowed to exit the gates because your COVID sign is up. They do that really well. They're also really good at automating a whole bunch of other things in China, including their ports, as I've mentioned. So the idea that they would be able to cut the working force down to almost nothing and just have sort of wireless engineers and maybe some backup workers at a port handle things where the AI screws up. That's what a lot of Chinese AI is doing in addition to all this dystopian mindfuck AI. But the idea that we're just going to invest and invest and invest. And how many billions and billions of dollars have been invested just so I can get uh, uh, an AI at a data center to send me some stupid image of cats drinking sake and making a funny face? I mean, it's like it's an extreme amount of, of, uh, uh, of infrastructure required to do that. And I'm not going to pay somebody $90 to do that. Not at all. You've been listening to the Japan What Podcast coming at you from the back end of Tokyo. You found it. The Toshihisa Cho Studios in Shinjuku, Tokyo, Japan. MatthewPMBigelow.com. I didn't plug at all. Plug Japan What Podcast accepts donations at paypal.me forward slash Japan WUT. We also are taking money via the Podcasting 2.0 infrastructure. Get your Podcasting 2.0 uh, apps uh, from Podverse, uh, CurioCaster, Fountain. There's a whole bunch. Just search up Podcasting 2.0 apps and make the transition now. I've received some donations uh, recently. Thank you, everybody, for donating. Um, I can mention one person, I think, uh, donating uh, 500 sats to the LB wallet here. Ooh, geez. Incoming. A very good listen from 11 days ago. This is about 500 sats or only 20 yen. I'll take whatever I can get from Mr. Moritz and via the Fountain app. And he decided to give me 500 sats. So thank you very much, Mr. Moritz. I might put that at the beginning of the show. I'm not sure. I have a little girl at home who's waiting for me to get home. And I have to take care of my wife, who's also recovering from giving birth. Thank you very much, everyone. Remember to donate. MatthewPMBigelow.com. Send us some traffic. Go there for the links. And until then, take her easy, everyone. Until then. I am the king of the ring.